Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Houndcast. I'm Amanda Manza, the Director of Alumni and Parent Engagement. I've got our Assistant Director, Justin, on with us today. How are you today, Justin? Hi, Amanda. Good. How are you? Good morning, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us. We are really excited to have our guest on today. We have kind of transitioned from some of our faculty and staff and giving you a campus update to having some of our alums on to be able to share their stories with all of you. So today we have Fred Rooney from the class of 1975. And we are super excited to learn a little bit about what his Moravian story looked like and what he's up to now since he's left Moravian. So Fred, can you start us off of just telling us a little bit about your Moravian story? What did it look like for you coming to Moravian? What were you involved in on campus? That kind of thing. Sure. Uh, thank you so much for, for inviting me to speak. It's interesting because I was born in Bethlehem, but when I was a year and a half, my dad and family, we were transferred to New York, to Long Island. My dad worked for Bethlehem Steel. And so from age one and a half until 18, when I came to Moravian, I, I was raised on Long Island, but always with very strong ties to the Lehigh Valley. And my dad graduated from, from Lehigh. And when it came time to choose a college, the question was, where are you going to go? And so everybody was like, well, Lehigh, Lehigh. And so I applied to Lehigh. I got into Lehigh, but I'm not exactly sure it was based on merit, as we know that sometimes, especially back in the days. But I then learned more about Moravian. And so I knew I wanted to go come back home to Bethlehem. And then the more I learned about Moravian, I realized Moravian seemed to be a better fit for me in so many ways. It was smaller and you know, and in terms of what I thought would be my ability to, to fare well, I thought that that was a much more a reality than maybe Lehigh. So I came to Moravian and all I can say is that Moravian really was at that point in my life, what transformed my life forever. And so, I loved, um, I loved being on campus. I loved being away from home. And just a couple things really stand out. One is that for the first time, I was able to socialize with people in a way that was hard to do in high school. And so I was fortunate because I joined OGO. And in many uh -oh, ways- Oh, an OGO brother. <laughs> an OGO brother and a proud OGO brother, right? <laughs> and you know, I don't know how much fraternities have changed over the course of the years, but OGO was really exceptionally important for me during my- I'm going to talk about my three years because there was one year that I was away. The first two years, it gave me a sense of camaraderie. It made me feel like I was part of an organization, an institution. You know, we had crazy times in the go, go house and I would not have changed it for anything. But I think that maybe the excitement of, of being an OGO and realizing that maybe I wasn't as focused as I should be on, on school, I decided to, to separate from Moravian in my third year. And... I, you know, I knew about an exchange program that Moravian offered in conjunction with other, uh, other schools in the area. And, and because I was very interested in Spanish, they were saying, you got to go to Spain. You got to go to Spain. I didn't want to go to Spain. I wanted to go to Latin America. And I decided, I think, in my second year that I wanted to major in Latin American studies. And so part of the requirement was that I needed to be away for a semester or a year. I spent my third year in Bogota, Colombia. And that really began the transition that would set the rest of my life in motion. I never knew what poverty looked like. I never knew what the rest of the world was having to deal with on a daily basis to survive. But I got to Columbia and, and I began to see that life was not Bethlehem. It wasn't Garden City. It was a totally different world. And despite all of the difficulties that I saw, I also saw a real beauty that I had never experienced before of 
of community and, and culture. And it, it made me realize for the first time in my life that I really did need to depend on myself as opposed to other people or groups. And I came back and I was really changed in my perspective in life. My perspective in the world changed radically because of the fact that the world was opened up to me for the first time in my life. And the number one transformation was Professor Gary Olson because he began to, to teach in a way that allowed us to look at different alternative perspectives. And when I, I sat in his class, I began to, to understand how the world functioned or maybe didn't function. And from that moment on, from Gary Olson onward, the rest of my life really was set because I truly believe that it was because of Gary's influence that I began to really question issues of equality, fairness. And I graduated in 1975. I started working in Allentown. It was really a, a social worker slash ESL teacher. I had never done okay. before, okay. but that was my job. And it was because of Moravian and then working in the trenches of, of Allentown, I was teaching immigrant adults English and then having to deal with all of the issues that they were facing in housing, okay. employment, you name mm -hmm. it, that I realized at one point I needed to go to law school because I could be as helpful as I wanted to be, but I knew that some of the issues that people faced really needed a lawyer. And so that was the impetus for me going to law school. Fred, that's so interesting, you know, to kind of hear that you had these experiences. You came to Moravian and that was such an experience for you. But then from your time with Gary Olson, from your time abroad, those are the things that really kind of transformed you and, and put you on the career path that you're on today. If it hadn't been for coming to Moravian and doing those things, how different your life potentially could be and had you not had those experiences. And Yeah, offering me the ability to go away and taking Moravian up on that offer really changed my life as well because I always thought I could speak Spanish <laughs> a little bit until I got to Colombia. I had to start really learning and understanding Spanish. And, and once I did, it really then, was, along with a lot of other factors, became part of my livelihood. Because sure. as I developed my language skills, I was able to, to work in a bilingual capacity. And I remember the day I, you know, I got out of law school and I opened up a practice. Because I spoke Spanish and we opened up in Allentown, I had people who were waiting to talk to me, to retain me as a lawyer, because they knew I could speak Spanish. And so yeah. it, that, all of that is part and parcel of Moravian. And, and so many other ways. There were so many other people who were instrumental right. in my development at, at Moravian. So Pogo, Gary Olson, they're kind of like on real extreme. I was going to say, those are complete opposites, right? <laughs> they are. But in every complete opposite, there is a thread of something that makes sense. And it maybe Gary wouldn't have made as much sense if I hadn't been an Ogo brother. And maybe <laughs> Ogo wouldn't have made as much sense until I, I, I learned from Gary. So it's all good. Yeah. And life was very good at Moravian. It set the way for, for me feeling blessed and, and very accomplished with what I was able to at least begin developing as a Moravian student. Yeah, and I think it's so important, you know, our students today, you know, we want to give them those experiences. And, you know, right now in the midst of this pandemic, it's, it's incredibly difficult to give them those transformative experience for them, even though they can't travel right now is, is very difficult. But I think it's so important that we continue those things and give them those opportunities as best we can. 
Absolutely. Well, Fred, thanks for, you know, sharing a little bit about your experience at Moravian as a student and really first starting out in your career. One thing that you did reference that I, I took notice on, and we've had some other guests on Houndcast that have also spoke to this, is that liberal arts education, right? And how important that is to really build upon having students have a really solid foundation and a, and a really solid skill set when they enter the, the workforce to be well-rounded. And I think that's one thing that Moravian does so well. After kind of starting out your career as, you know, a social worker and, and going to law school, what has your career trajectory looked like since? I know you have a really unique story since kind of first starting out in your career. Can you talk to our alumni today a little bit about what you're doing currently and, and kind of how you've grown into what you've been able to accomplish in your career? I think I should probably mention that my first two years are sort of like mm, a little bit of a blur. Third year began to make sense. And if you ask my, my parents or you, you pulled a copy of my transcript, you could see that in my first two years, I would not be described as a, a stellar student. Party man, party maker, yeah, but- That's that O going, you Fred. It's <laughs> yeah, but Spo was there, everybody else. We were released from, from home for the first time and we were all trying to transition and make sense out of it. But right. what happened was I, I, I honestly, my, my third year I did well because I was away and just being there, you got- decent grades for. Last year, I think I made the dean's list because I was actually interested in, in the courses. I wasn't sitting there taking courses because I needed to, you know, to deal with the electives. I then started working as a social worker and then I started traveling and they knew that I wanted to, to continue my education. And between Moravian and law school, I did get a master's degree and I got that at Marywood because my issue, my, my interest in language acquisition and languages in general was so great that I have a, a master's degree in bicultural bilingual studies. And the reason I say that is because I never believed that I, I had it in me to be able to go on and get a graduate degree. And when I did, I realized that I was capable of number one, getting into the program, number two, getting out of the program. And that gave me a, a self-confidence that I, I was really lacking. And it actually gave me the self-confidence to eventually then go to law school. I got out of Moravian in 75, went to Marywood, say from 1980 to 82. And then I started law school in 1983. Now, because of my deep commitment to social justice and helping to, to deal with the issues that I saw with people all over the country. I, I went to the City University of New York Law School. It's also known as CUNY Law School. And it, it was a brand new institution started by the City of New York to train lawyers in using law in the service of human needs. And I was very fortunate because the, the school opened in 1983. I was part of the, the inaugural class. And I was there for three years and enjoyed law school you know, tremendously. I was also, once again, with a group of people who pretty much had the same idea that as a nation, we really needed to tackle the issues of a lack of access to justice for most people because they simply couldn't afford it. And if it was bad back in 1980, in the 80s, it's even worse now. Right. And we were really determined to use our privilege, our education, to address the needs of people, moderate to low-income people, who desperately needed lawyers but didn't necessarily have the full amount that was needed by most people in order to retain lawyers. And so I started a practice in, in Allentown with Michelle Baricchio, who is now Judge Baricchio in Lehigh County. And okay. we were able to, to prove that in order to do good in your community, you have to do well. We needed to create an economically sustainable law practice that, number one, allowed us to pay our, our, our loans, allowed us to raise families and, and have the kinds of things that most people want. 
But we didn't have to do that by having people remortgage their lives in order to retain us. So we, we, we could show that we were able to serve and serve very well people who really needed a lawyer who was caring and willing to, to do whatever needed to be done in order to be able to help them. And it grew, the practice grew. And, and so I feel very fortunate to have created a law practice that was really serving people throughout the Lehigh Valley of all backgrounds and all ethnicities. And, and right. So. I, I think that's really, you know, an interesting, you know, like I said, trajectory of how you started out your career and how you built a formidable law practice and, and how you sort of transitioned your career over the years. And I think one of the things you speak to, right, is you speak to the vocation that you're passionate about through Moravian and through having that experience over in Columbia and through starting out as a social worker and, you know, realizing that you wanted to go to law school, right? You were passionate towards your vocation. And I think one of the things that you really touched upon is people don't necessarily buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And I think in your career uh, path, I think you've definitely sort of broken, you know, into that mold and, and you've really stuck true to what you're passionate about and what, uh, what your vocation is. And, and I, I think that it's so important what you're saying in terms of the, the, your choice of words, because most people would look upon medicine or law as professions. And if you do, hey, they can be lucrative. You can make a lot of money as a lawyer. And hey, I say more power to people who do what they've got to do in order to be able to do well, right? But there are people who look upon those, those professions as a vocation. And when you look at it, them as a vocation, it's, it's a lot different. I think the, the approach you take is a lot different because law and medicine are the two professions, vocations that are really supposed to deal with the needs of people, whether they are their medical needs, health needs, or legal needs. And we know only too well in this country that we're capable of, of doing much more than we do. But there are so many people, millions of people in this country who go without legal representation because they can't afford it and people who don't have medical insurance. And so, you know, when, when I stumble on people who, whether they're doctors or lawyers or social workers who are in it because they really deeply are concerned about issues of equality and fairness and equal access to whether it's medicine, law, you name it, it's really gratifying. And, and, and that sort of takes me into the next part of my life, which was traveling around the world, helping young people, very much like myself, who really wanted to do the right thing, what they considered the right thing, but just didn't lack the skills. And so that is really a backdrop to my work. Once I stopped, my pra I stopped working full-time in my practice in, in Bethlehem and Allentown, and then started working full-time in New York. And that's sort of the next chapter of, of my existence. Fred, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what are kind of some of the things that you're, you're doing now, especially during this pandemic and everything, you know, we were talking a little bit beforehand that you were supposed to be in Argentina and clearly traveling and that type of thing is, is not possible these days. So what kind of is happening with you today and what does that look like? Despite the fact that I haven't been able to travel since March for the last, I don't know how many years I travel a, a minimum of 125,000 miles a year. I fly. Wow, okay. And that, that gets me all over all over creation. As of March, I, I came back to the States and, and I wasn't able to, to travel again. A lot of what I've been doing is on Zoom. And so I think that the momentum is there for all of us, right? People are trying to keep the momentum up and then hoping that once the pandemic starts to get behind us, we'll be able to pick up where we left off, which is, you know, what I'm doing today. But the the project that I started in 2007 in New York, it's analogous to a residency program for, for doctors. 
when a person goes to med school, you can assume that by the time they get out of med school, they know how to treat a patient. They go through it. So. Well, yeah, but they, well, you would hope that they would yes. know how to treat a patient. Historically, law school has not taught you how to practice law. It teaches you how to pass the bar. It teaches you how to understand the socio-anthropological aspects of jurisprudence, right? So you learn a lot of stuff that in the long run doesn't really make a lot of difference. But one of the things we started doing in, at the City University of New York Law School is making available postgraduate support for lawyers. It had never happened before. There was never a time in, in our history when law schools continue to educate their graduates. And so we started a program in Boston, in Baltimore, New York, and in San Antonio. And the pur purpose was to provide lawyers who wanted to do what I did in Allentown in 1986 or 1987. And that set up law practices with a deep commitment to the communities that were really in need. And so starting in 1998, and we were providing lawyers training by having them come back to the law school and learn. And it was novel and somewhat of a radical idea that law schools had a responsibility to do more than just take your money and confer a degree. But in 2007, I, I, I was part of a formation of a, an incubator model. And there are all kinds of incubators for all kinds of disciplines, for graphic designers, for artists, for you name it, startup companies, but there was never anything for a lawyer. So I was able to take the model. It's usually 18 months, six months. I mean, half the time you learn about how to start a, an economically sustainable business. And the other part is how to develop your professional skills. I saw bakers in New York City who had incubators and they learned how to bake and they learned how to run a bakery. We took the, the model and retrofitted it to lawyers and then started a program that for me in the back of my mind was maybe gonna serve nine or 10, 10 lawyers and see, we, you know, the idea is let's see how it flies. And it did. That was in 2007, 2008, the world economy collapsed. Uh, law schools and bar associations were desperate because nobody had opportunities. And the New York Times did a story on the incubator at CUNY and it, it went all over the country. And so, you know, from that point on, my life really changed because people were very interested in creating these programs either in their, their law schools or their bar associations. And, and so today there are about probably 60 incubators across the U.S., and then whether you're a, a student at Moravian who's going to graduate or you're someone who has developed skills in a particular area, the Fulbright program is a program that's funded through the State Department. And after World War II, it was determined that it made a lot of sense to be able to send Americans abroad to share their experiences and to bring people from abroad into the U.S. to share their experiences. And that's how the Fulbright program was started. Right. It's a little bit like the Peace Corps because Americans go abroad and try to help and then, you know, learn. And, and so it was through the Fulbright program in 2012-13 that I was able to take the model that I started in New York in 2007 to the Dominican Republic. And that's where the first incubator outside of the U.S. was started. And then from then on, I worked in Pakistan, starting incubators in Pakistan and Spain. And more recently, up until the pandemic, I was working with Roma communities in, in Bulgaria. You know, spending some time in Albania, spending some time in Romania. And so I'm hoping to be able to pick up where I had to leave off. And, and so I, there's tremendous interest all over the world for innovative ways to be able to make access to justice more accessible to people who have historically not had the kind of access that maybe we would be fortunate to have. And it does enable me to meet like-minded people 
all over the world, lawyers and, and especially students. I mean, to me, the future of the planet is in the hands of young students. And, and if you can give them a helping hand that they need to be able to help their dreams come true, then it's really in all of our best interest. And so for me, I, I feel gratitude and privilege to be able to, to, to jump on a plane and be in Asia or be in, in Europe or Latin America, working with people who are as committed to the ideas of liberty, justice, equality, as I am and a lot of the people around me right. are. And so if I could just jump back to where I started, I honestly believe that Moravians set the course for the rest of my life. For that, I am incredibly grateful. I think one of the things that you speak to is Moravian, as, as small of an institution as we may be, we do offer big school opportunities. And from the experiences that you've had on sort of that personalized um, educational approach that you sort of experience as you matriculated here throughout your, uh, your four years, I think that's one thing that can, can really kind of hone into our conversation today is that although Moravians, you know, a small school, we, we definitely offer those big school opportunities. If you have the drive, if you have the passion, if you have the wealth, you know, to, to succeed. So appreciate that, Fred. I, I know that, that President Grigsby has been very, very supportive of the idea of opening up opportunities for Moravian students to travel during their, their at some point during their four years. And as everybody knows, the pandemic has really put a, you know, the screws to that notion. But I really hope that as things begin to reopen, that Moravian students will take the initiative to go. And it doesn't matter where. The moment that you, you get out of your backyard or your, your neighborhood and you see something else, it could be traveling in the U.S. We, there's so much to see. There's so much need in this country. I'm not saying that you got to go outside of the U.S., but to be able to expand your horizons and a sense of your worldview or your national view just by right. getting out of the Lehigh Valley or getting out of Long Island or Jersey, where so many of us are from, I, I honestly believe it can change your life in ways that you can't even imagine. And I say that because I know what it did for me. Yeah, and that's it's definitely a focus of Moravian and, and what we're trying to do today. So we're... I think all of our faculty and our students were all like sitting on edge of like, when can we leave again? When can we do those things? You know, because we definitely want to be able to give our students those experiences and to have that worldview that you can't get just here staying in Bethlehem forever. Yeah. So, or reading in the newspaper or watching TV. Yeah. It's not the same as immersing yourself into right. a different culture and to a different, you know, environment. So I think that's really important to to hit on and, and it's exciting to hear your transformative story and kind of the success that it's given to you and I think that's really inspiring to our students to know that there are these opportunities and there are experiences that are going to change their lives so I think yeah. it's great to share with our students. Fred we thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Before we wrap up here we have one final question for you and this is something we ask all of our participants on Houndcast. And it's really just, what do you miss most about being a part of the Moravian campus community? You know, your time here at Moravian, what is that one thing that you're like, that made Moravian what it is, and I really miss it and wish I could still be a part of it here on campus? Well, since Gary's already retired, I can't say Gary. <laughs> what I can say is Ogo. Okay. okay. All right. All right. You're still here. <laughs> yeah. You guys are great. Uh, I send my heartfelt good wishes to Billy Ruff. He's one of our, our brothers who's been dealing with some medical issues. So we're rooting for you. The Ogo brothers. <laughs> yeah. Every time you talk about a fraternity, you kind of get that. And it doesn't matter where you are. But there is something that's to me, is very 
endearing about being part of a group of guys. And we were crazy, but we were also caring about some of the issues in the neighborhood. We were doing as much as we could to help out. And so it was a perfect segue for me, from high school to Moravian, and then to the next part of my life. But it's a part of, of me that will always be with me. Well, thank you, Fred, so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I know all of our alums who are listening are going to, you know, so enjoy hearing your story and what you're up to today, especially some of your classmates that I'm sure are tuning in. So for all of our alums, thank you so much for listening. Fred, thanks for joining us. And we'll see My you pleasure. again soon. Take care, Amanda. Take care, Justin. Yeah. Thanks so much, Fred.